Chiefs Kingdom, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chiefs cast, live from the Wolf Den. I'm Chris. And I'm Josh, and tonight we're going to be talking free agency, the draft, and a little bit of all things football. Big reminder that all Southeast Wisconsin residents are invited to join us for game day. Please visit mkechiefsfans.com for more about the group, and please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to our channel. Today, as always, we will be talking about your Kansas City Chiefs. With our guest today, Kansas City Chiefs beat writer from The Athletic, we have Nate Taylor on. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. Thank you, fellas, for having me. Uh, glad to be here. And uh, who knew that we had finally turned the calendar to floor, you know, to April. Um, after many days, it felt like uh, where I couldn't you know, stay away from my phone because of free agency. But glad to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Nate, thanks for being on. We are, of course, presented by Complete Weddings and Events, your leading provider of photo, video, DJ, photo booth, lighting, and coordination services. Please visit them at completewedo.com, and let's get to work. So our first question we have for you is, do the signings of Reed or Blythe change anything in your mock draft? I know you put out a pretty substantial one here recently. So what's different after those two signings? Yeah, it, it's a good question, Josh. And it, it's always fun to do mock drafts because they are – uh, it, it gets my brain to think not only about the team, but how other teams kind of near them in the draft may look at certain positions. Um, and the funny thing that I always do is I like, all right, I've, I've finished this mock draft. I spent a couple hours looking at this prospect or this prospect, and it might be relevant for like four hours <laughs> because um, we're still doing free agency, right? I was. I was surprised by the Jaron Reed signing. And I think a lot of people in the Chiefs organization were surprised that, wow, we could actually get a quality defensive tackle to put next to Chris Jones. So it did uh, affect my mock draft moving forward. I think I'm going to do at least two more um, before the draft on April 29th. And I think the Austin Blythe signing sort of leads me to feel like, okay, the Chiefs don't feel like they have to choose between a tackle or a center in the first round if they stay at 31 or if they decide to move up in the trade. Um, now I feel like if you're the Chiefs, you can be like, hey, let's really identify who's the best tackle who might be available. And if we get to center, maybe in the third, fourth round, we can get somebody who may develop into a starter beyond next season. Where before Austin Black signed, I think the Chiefs felt like maybe they were – not necessarily cornered, but they felt some pressure to say, okay, if we don't get Austin Ryder back and we have to, you know, fill that position through the draft or maybe Nick Allegretti goes from guard to center, like, is that the best option for day one of the 2021 season? I don't believe that was the case. Um, so the Chiefs sort of agreed with that and said, let's get a veteran who was at least started at that position last year with the Rams. Pretty adequate job. And now we can go try to develop our own starting center um, in the draft if that's what they want to do. But I think pass rush is still an issue, I would say. So maybe that's something that you could target in the second round, whereas I didn't really find a quality defensive end because it's like, oh, wait, all the other teams in this mock draft through the pro football focus simulator that I used had already taken all of them. Um, and so it does change the draft, I think, a little bit just because you do have a starting center now. You definitely have at least a third pass rusher uh, to sort of give you more clarity as to, hey, maybe we should do tackle, cornerback, tight end. Like there's other positions, I think, that are rising, whereas those kind of fall back a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we need more pass rushers. You know who else does all other 31 teams? I mean, that's such a premium <laughs> position. It's just uh, – it, it, it's crazy. It's not a good position to be in where – you you have to have one of those and you don't have a top five pick it's uh it's crazy chris any anything that you wanted to follow up on uh, about any of that yeah no i i was really happy to see blythe get signed because yeah the thought of you know us intensely waiting to see whether or not austin Ryder is going to accept the offer that i think we extended to him over a week ago and then you know the thought of taking a another interior offensive lineman with some pretty high off-season capital, be it a high draft pick or, or more free agent money, was it, it made me a little bit nervous. But to see the value that they got in, uh, in signing Blythe, I, I think that's – to me, that fills a really big hole because I think you get a lot better value in the early rounds at you know, tackle and edge than you would at center. Yep. 
so I like how you uh, essentially said that a mock draft is kind of like a car. It loses half its value the second you drive it off the lot. Uh, you know, the, the ink feels, doesn't even... It feels so good when that car... It feels so kinda... good when you sign the, the paperwork and everything. Yeah, you got yeah. the, you got the hands on the steering wheels. You're like, all right, I, I got a new ride. Yeah. The moment they drive off, they all kind of like laugh at you because they're like, oh, you'll be here back in Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, they're, they're a drug and we're addicted. So we're, we're going to keep, uh, we're going to keep doing them. You'll keep writing them. We'll keep reading them. It's, <laughs> it, it's going to be great. Um, so let, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the draft itself. And, you know, we put all of this together and you take into account a handful of trades and things of that nature. So what is a potential trade scenario that another team, you know, towards the top, that's maybe going for one of the quarterbacks uh, that could happen that would, essentially uh cut the entire draft in half um you know before we even get out of the top 10 what's uh what's a scenario you could see i i know chiefs fans probably don't want this but i get the sense that if you're the denver broncos mm -hmm. it, it's time to make a move yeah um i've started watching trey lance video i don't know how good he'll be in the next you know level uh coming from north dakota state but man, those highlights are, they are incredible. So if we assume, and I'm, I'm taking a large assumption here, but I, I would tell Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, okay, if it's, if it's Trevor Lawrence, if it's Zach Wilson, take Justin Fields, don't be stupid. And so I think a lot of the pressure then becomes, okay, if Denver moves up because they want to take Trey Lance, um, that really could fracture a lot of thinking within the draft and how do you anticipate other players who are obviously highly touted where they would slide down and in some ways it's like does it benefit you if you're the Chiefs for a team like the Broncos to do that because that's one more pick that a tackle wouldn't necessarily be there whether the Broncos move up or down but at the same time if the Broncos get their next potentially very good to great quarterback then the division becomes much easier for it to be a more competitive balance between how much the Chiefs have just ramshacked through the AFC West. So you're not going to get an automatic home playoff game if we assume that Justin Herbert is staying, you know, as consistent, if not getting better in year two and year three, and maybe Trey Lance um, provides some stability for the Broncos. I, I don't, what I don't want, I think if you're a Chiefs fan, and what I've started to realize is, if you get to that 12 to 22 slot and you'll see this in a lot of mock drafts, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you'll just start seeing names that are relevant to the chiefs who may potentially be taken. And that's where, if you're Brett Veach, Danny Reed, how much are you going to sweat on draft night, at least on the round one to say, Oh my Lord, now we're at pick 25, which is what I sort of found out in my mock draft, which is like, okay, I think there's only one tackle that I feel like is legitimately a first-round player in Tevin Jenkins at Oklahoma State. So do you make a move up to do that? What does it take in order to uh, execute such a trade? Usually it takes at least one additional pick in obviously swapping first-round picks. Um, other teams may ask for more from the Chiefs because they know how desperate they are in terms of needing an offensive tackle. So keep that in mind if that happens on draft day. But I, I think – the Broncos, because of their quarterback situation, and if Matt Jones is still available for the Patriots at 15, that's like the last quarterback, right? I assume that this is a five-quarterback draft class, at least in the first round. If Matt Jones, the longer I think he's on the board, I think the more it helps the Chiefs. Uh, because, again, it's just from a positional standpoint as to what other teams need versus what your need is. But I am fascinated to know that. With Patrick Mahomes being the best player in the league, with the way he ran around in the Super Bowl, with the immense pressure that you've already felt to revamp the entire offensive line, I would say that there's more than a 50% chance that Brett Beach moves up, regardless of what happens before the Chiefs uh, feel like they've identified the tackle they need to go get. Um, because if they don't take a tackle in the first round, I think a lot of people will be scratching their heads. Yeah, I would say that I agree with that. And uh, you, you kind of address the next question that we were going to ask, and that's uh, how many quarterbacks are in the draft? And you said five. And so I'm assuming the five that you're talking about are Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Fields, and Jones. 
Um, is that the order that you would put them in? That's what ESPN's ranking them right now. Or would you put them in a slightly different order? And then the follow-up question that I'll just throw out right away is where do you put Kellen Mond? Is he number six or? Yeah, I would, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I, the, I guess there's a chance that if you wanted to develop um, that quarterback, maybe you could jump back into the first round if you're a team uh, similar to what the Ravens did, right? The Ravens went mostly to the first round. They were like, okay, we feel like we're going to get good value. We're going to move up and take, uh, you know, someone like Lamar Jackson. Now I'm not saying <laughs> any of these players are Lamar Jackson. Sure. Sure. But, if you're, but if, Hey, if you want to do that, if you want to go from the Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton sort of line of thinking like, Hey, maybe we can develop this guy in a couple of years, then maybe there is six quarterbacks that can be taken in the first round of this draft. I do get the sense that as much as I love Trevor Lawrence and I feel like I've been over, I've been overly sold Trevor Lawrence because he's he just so good. He's so good. He is, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Zach, but Zach Wilson, I, I don't know, man. Like, how often do we get the consensus top pick to be the best quarterback? I mean, hey, there's a reason, you know, Mitchell Trubisky went ahead of Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I was of the belief at the time that the most can't-miss guy was Deshaun Watson. That didn't prove to be the case. If you put Patrick Mahomes on any sure. team – based on his skill set, uh, that team was going to be better. I wonder if there's similar things with Fields and Wilson, but I do tend to agree with ESPN's ranking that over the course of his college career, based on the accuracy, the size, and he's still mobile, although people don't really talk about Trevor Lawrence in that way, um, then sure, he should be number one. I would be fascinated if the New York Jets chose – Justin Fields over Zach Wilson. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, then third goes to whoever San Francisco ends up you know, landing with. Um, I, I'm not sold on Mac Jones. Just he's super accurate, but that's sort of an Alabama mm-hmm. quarterback production generated off the assembly line. Colt McCoy. I mean. The dude had an amazing offensive line. Every time I watch Alabella film, I'm like, was he ever pressured? This was like the most perfect system. And I'll give Mac credit. They won every game. They dominated every team. Every receiver was wide open. So I just don't know. I'm not as sold on Mac Jones just because there's not enough of a variance as to, hey, did I see you rise to the occasion? Did I see you go above and beyond? Um what the circumstances were, similar to what Patrick Mahomes, similar to what, you know, other quarterbacks in the league do. But is he, I mean, I guess he could be Tom Brady to some degree in that sort of realm. Maybe he could be someone like Drew Brees based on timing, accuracy, precision, if you create the offense in that certain manner. But, man, I just look at that Alabama offense. I'm like, can we just pick everybody from that offense? <laughs> like, if you're, yeah, exactly. like, if you pick anybody from Alabama, you're just like, that offense was – it was surgical how good they were um, and Mac Jones benefits, but Hey, the quarterback is supposed to put the ball on time. He did that. Um, yeah. I know it's going to be a lot harder because there's obviously more parity in the NFL than in college. Can I, yeah. can I ask a follow-up real quick on that? Yeah, sure. Cause I'm curious to know because I, I was thinking a lot about Joe Burrow as you explained this. I'm, I'm trying to understand maybe, the difference between Joe Burrow and Mac Jones, because it seemed like Joe Burrow had the same type of talent around him at LSU. I guess, do you know happen to, to know why he, I guess, was thought of as the the hands down number one pick in last draft, and why Mac Jones would be considered at least in the top three of pitchers? Is it really just relativity, or is it is there something more to that? Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a good question, Chris. I think it does tend to lead to like when you're when when do you enter the draft and who's around you at your position obviously matters I think if Trevor Lawrence was in last year's draft class I would I personally would probably still give Trevor Lawrence a higher grade um just because I think he has a more accurate deep ball um not what I saw I mean Joe Burrow had a phenomenal storybook season where it just all kind of came together but you're right I mean Clyde Edwards O'Leary was like really really good in college Justin Jefferson. I we mean, all, yeah, we all know yeah. the receivers were like amazing. Yeah. So it, it is similar. I will say that their offensive line was nowhere near as good as Alabama's was this gotcha. year. And so I do think there's still some upside to Joe Burrow in terms of mobility. 
Um, but here's the issue, right? With me saying that, he went to a team that hadn't had a real ready-to-play put in place to protect the quarterback at the highest level in Cincinnati. And that's not Cincinnati's fault. When you have the number one pick, your team is usually trash. So, you know, like, you can only do so much in one offseason, even though you know you're going to take the best quarterback. And it's unfortunate yeah. that he got hurt. But I, I have the same concerns about all these quarterbacks outside of whoever goes to San Francisco. That appears to be the dream scenario um, oh, where yeah. even if I was like Zach Wilson's agent, I would start to be like, do we want to go to New York? Maybe we should like play this a certain direction to get us in a Kyle Shanahan offense with like Trent uh, Williams and Alex uh, Mack. Like, sit oh, behind Jimmy go. Garoppolo for a year. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, that – like whatever San Francisco's doing is really intriguing to me because it seems like not, you know, a good friend of mine, Sarin Petro, said this on a 10. It seems like the 49ers have started to learn, like, oh, the reason we lost to the Chiefs was because of this certain philosophy. Yeah. We have the same coach and the same talent around. Let's maybe reverse course and line of thinking. Um, I I just wonder with with Mac Jones, can we put him in the right system? And when the Defender comes free. And I think everybody should think about this, no matter who the quarterback prospect is. Um, Patrick Mahomes was sacked three times in the Super Bowl, but he could have been sacked about 15. Mm-hmm. Your quarterback, in some ways, at, at this league right now, based on the pass rushers that Josh mentioned, and just how much we're in a pass happy league, your quarterback's got to be able to evade the guy that comes free, whether it's coming off a blitz or someone who just beats your man up front. And I just, it, we just didn't get enough of a sample size to where at least with Joe Burrow, I said, hey, he has the ability to move. He has the ability to extend plays. That NBC championship game, I think it was against Georgia uh, two years ago, where he moved around and it just looked like, this is incredible. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. I was sort of blown away. Um, whereas Mac could just, you know, could just stand in the pocket and deliver the ball on time. And it was, it was glorious to watch. Because even Ohio State tried a couple things in the championship game that I noticed. And it's just like, they're too talented and the dude doesn't make mistakes. So that's his best. Mac Jones best case is he really didn't make any mistakes when everything was on time and on schedule. The problem is we don't have enough sample of when things weren't going right because the coaching staff and the talent around him was so darn good. This sounds like a Patriots quarterback. I mean, uh, everything (laughs) you're talking about, it's just really does. He's going to the Patriots. Yeah. So yeah. let's uh, let's stay on the AFC East for for one more. Um, how are the Jets going to screw this up? Do you, do you see a world where they stay with Darnold and they trade the, the number two pick to the Broncos or something like that? How is this going to go south for them? I, and the thing is, I like Robert Salah. I like him. I like him. I know he's a good coach. Players really respect. I, him. I like Robert Salah as well. Yeah. I know they, yeah. they, the coaches really, uh, the players, I should say, really love him and. and Obviously, have a lot of admiration and respect for him. Um, the Johnson family appears to be like saying all the right things for once, right? After kind of toiling for the last five or six years, I don't know what they were doing with Adam Gase. Everybody in the league was like, "We don't know what they're doing with Adam Gase." But hey, Adam Gase didn't know what they were doing with Adam Gase. No. <laughs> so, so the Johnson He's like, am I supposed to be here right now? I uh, yeah. I got this job, right? It was it was crazy. Um, I think the Johnson family is starting to figure it out. Ownership has started to understand that, hey, we need to not just be a team that wants to make a splash in free agency, but like actually have a plan in place. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to screw this up. They shouldn't screw it up. Um, one thing that they could, one thing I could say is like the problem is, is that um, good luck, Robert. You're coaching against Bill Belichick. Whatever the Bills put together. And Brian Flores, yeah. Yeah, Sean McDermott, who has the best roster in the division, and Brian Flores, who coached, who has coached above his head the last two years. And has a million first round draft picks in the next couple of years. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's already a tough ass for the Jets. I don't know how to screw it up, but it's completely uh, within the realm of possibility given recent history and just the idea that like, okay, I, I want to see it for like the first, like now that we're playing 17 games, it's like, I have to 
calibrate all my like projections. But I do want to see if like maybe the first six to seven games, okay, we know the Jets aren't really talented. We're never going to basically hand the keys to a rookie quarterback. They're going to have to be conservative in a lot of ways. But um, I don't know if they fully supported Sam Darnold, either with talent or with misguided talent that didn't pan out the way that they assumed. Uh, So they're going to have to do that in future years, right? I really think Corey Davis is great. Um, I really think he can fit the mold of, like, a very high number two receiver. Um, But – Look, man, it only takes a couple turnovers. It only takes a couple back page headlines. And we see this over and over again where it's just like, dang, the Jets, the Jets have done it again, you know, uh, which tells you how impressive it is that uh, Rex Ryan got that team to two AFC championship games somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't think that we have any clue how good of a quarterback Mitch Trubisky or Sam Darnold are. We, we have no clue. And that's two big market teams that – the fan base just turned on them and they never, they never had a chance. They never had a chance. And uh, I, you know, God bless whoever ends up under center for the, the jets this year. Cause uh, your, your odds are that happening. <laughs> yeah. You're going you're gonna to yeah. have to go in that locker room and be a true leader, like a true yeah, exactly. bona fide. I know what I need to do to be successful. And I need grown men who have never really seen me play up until, you know, early September to sort of follow my lead. I mean, quarterback and coach, it matters so much. Yeah. Um, whoever they pick, I mean, that's who Robert Salah is going to put his, you know, that, that's who you tie at the hip to. And so whatever those guys do, how much can the rest of the 52 men with them follow them or improve themselves or make sure that they're competitive to where they see where this is headed? Because I think a lot of times, particularly like you mentioned, um, these teams in big markets, if you have a rough September, it goes south very quickly. And yeah. uh, in the NFL, you need you need guys to be as tight as possible beyond just being talented. Everybody's talented in the NFL. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, what, uh, what cap casualties are the Chiefs going to be able to take advantage of between now and the beginning of the season? I put this out there. It's still a slim chance. What, what are the Eagles doing with Zach Hurts? Like, I don't what, know. I don't know. Just, I don't know. Just, be great. Already. <laughs> like, exactly. nobody, like, Howie, Howie Lil, I'll tell you right now, no one's trading for Zach, <laughs> Zach Hurts. So, as I put before, you know, I know the Chiefs have been interested in Zach Hurts to some degree. Um, obviously, they went and signed Blake Bell, so the odds of that are short. The Eagles playing hardball makes it shorter. Um, you know, I didn't know that Jaren was going to be a cap casualty. And honestly, probably should have been. Um, you know, I, as I wrote in The Athletic, it's like they chose Carlos Dunlap over Jaren Reed. I'm like, I know one player plays the edge and one player plays the interior. And I asked Michael Sean Smith, our reporter for uh, The Athletic, who covers the, the Seahawks, I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> He's just like, I, they 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 traded for Carlos Hyde or like not Carlos Hyde. They, they traded for Carlos Dunlap, so they, they yeah. have to make it work. Uh, like sort of box themselves, and you know off goes Jaron Reed, who I think you know made a as best a decision as he could make yeah. in a shortened free agency period. Um, man, I I have not looked at enough rosters yet, but I know the Chargers are in need of situations right now uh, to where they may have to make some moves relatively quickly. Um, the Saints still <laughs> like oh, the Saints continue to be in just this like one in, one out, one in, one out. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of people, you know, kind of got into a tizzy on Twitter when they signed, you know, Tano Passigno, but it's like yeah. that's what their cap is mandating to go get yeah. Tano Passigno so that they can release somebody that'll come through and give them a little bit more wiggle room. Um, I think the Eagles, beyond just Zach Ertz, may be still in play to some degree just because uh, they are, I think, getting into that Miami Dolphins territory of let's free some space, let's try to get some picks, even though nobody's going to trade for Zach Ertz, or no one should, I should mention. Maybe maybe they'll find a team um, silly enough to do the deal. But I think those are some teams that you could have an idea of 
so who may be a cap casualty. But I think as we get closer to the draft, more teams should have an understanding of what they need to obviously pay their, you know, their draft class. And then if you're coming out of that, you still got to do unrestricted free agents, uh, or excuse me, undrafted free agents in the idea too of, okay, now that we know what our draft class is, holy smokes, we still got two holes at blank positions, you know? So um, the Chiefs are always pretty aggressive, um, but I think the way their cap situation looks right now, there's not a logical player that I think gives them enough space in terms of the salary cap to make reason for moving forward. I know, I know some team, some people have said that, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising to them that Laurent Dubonnet Tardif is still on the team, even though Damian Wilson isn't on the team. But if you look at the contract structure, um, it kind of costs a lot to let go of Laurent Dubonnet Tardif in terms of dead cap um, before you free up any cap that you could actually use this year. And he's at a more valuable position than Damian Williams is just because um, they need all the help they can get the offensive line based on last year. And I think the Chiefs, in choosing to move on from Damian Williams, decided that uh, Darrell Williams and, you know, Clyde Rizalera are the two backs that they want to move with going forward um, for next season. Yeah, and uh, getting rid of the doctor would be pretty bad PR at this point, too. I mean, let's be clear about that. That wouldn't be a good call. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, shoring up the middle of the offensive line has been impressive to watch that happen. Uh, I just hope that the next time Daryl Williams has a ball hit him in the face after uh, Mahomes <laughs> laid out like Superman that he catches it. Uh, <laughs> what a weird day, man. What a weird day. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you mentioned that the uh, Saints are a one in one out. Is that club even cool anymore? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, or is this Studio 54 when 1990 hit? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's crazy. I mean, think about this. Um, they have been trying to tell Drew Brees, hey, man, when's that Instagram post going to drop? Like, when can we can we move on? <laughs> we got to clear cap space. Yeah, now. seriously. And so, seriously. And so Drew Brees built them up until the final day before the new league year, before free agency really began. And he finally, like, told everybody, okay, I'm going to retire. But, you know, in normal years, they wouldn't have let go of a guy like Trent uh, Hendrickson. But, yeah. you know, um, this this is the business of trying to win at all costs when, you know, you got a Hall of Fame quarterback at the end of your career and you just keep passing the future on, passing the future on. And so they can't be a player in free agency, really, outside of going to get guys like Tano Passing. Uh, the good news for him is the uh, Buccaneers are good. The uh, Panthers seem to be on the uh, upswing. And, uh, you know, the, the Falcons might be able to put something together as well. So uh, good luck to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and who's their quarterback? Who's their quarterback? I don't know. Jameis Winston, I guess. <laughs> That's who we would all say, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> they, they told Drew Reeves, we need that Instagram post immediately. And then they went to Taysom Hill and was like, we're going to give you a contract that is not really a contract. It's basically yeah. like, we got to stretch. We got we to gotta avoid all these years just to make it work. And he may not be their quarterback. It may be James yeah. Winston. So yeah. and again, yeah. James Winston didn't even get a big deal on the market either. I mean, it was more advantageous to James to return because he already knows the system. He knows the offense. Mm-hmm. He has a better chance to start there than maybe elsewhere. But they, could, they couldn't really afford Jameis Winston if this was a normal offseason either. But, again, it benefits you because you want to start for the Saints? <laughs> this is as much as we can give you. J- Jameis Winston's kind of running out of uh, chances. I think people have kind of gotten tired of him. So, yeah, um, that there, there might be a little more of that going on as well. But, uh, yeah, 100%, 100% agree with you. Um, so let, let's talk about uh, one big hole that we haven't addressed with the Chiefs. Number two, wide receiver. What are we doing there? I know you wrote an article about uh, keeping the optimism up. So uh, what, what do you realistically think we're, we're doing there? Um, I think the Chiefs will do something similar to what they did at defensive line, right? Is that – Okay, if we can get a player like Jaron Reed uh, to add next to Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Tom, not excuse me, not Tom Pasco, Taco Charlton, um, you know, Colin Saunders, Trishon Wharton, the more the better because eventually somebody will prove themselves, whether that's in training camp or early on in the season, that they've earned that role. Um, You know, whether that's first or third down 
situations with Spagnolo defense. I feel like on offense, they're going to have to have a similar thing. Um, I would be shocked if the Chiefs don't take a receiver in this draft. It's pretty much a prerequisite now, I believe, um, because they were really high on, you know, Corey Davis, but Corey Davis can make more money elsewhere. Makes total sense. Um, they felt like Josh Reynolds could be an upside play to what Sammy Watkins could provide from a physicality, route running, stability standpoint. In Being the on the field. Yep. <laughs> yes, he is younger. He is more healthy at this point in his career. Yeah. Has less less uh, injuries to him. Um, he chose elsewhere. Uh, the Juju Smith-Schuster situation was fascinating just because uh, Juju basically presented himself that he loved Pittsburgh, but I only love you guys enough to play one more year because I want to make more money next year. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and the Chiefs offered essentially the same amount of money. I don't know how much you would have made in the real incentives that could have pushed it up to 11. A lot of those incentives, based on what general manager Brett Beach has done in the past, is tied to the postseason. So not only do you have to get through the regular season, but you have to be productive in the postseason to get some of these incentives. And they can sort of stretch that out over the cap, too, because that gives you more space to go pursue somebody on the trade deadline. So, again, smart for the Chiefs, smart for, you know, Juju, because – he feels like he's going to get more targets with Ben Roethlisberger, regardless of playing next to, you know, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. The answer should be Michael Hardman. It should the, be. I agree with problem, that. <laughs> the problem is, is he going to be consistent? Is he going to be <laughs> How much faith are you going to have? Look, I, I've seen it with my own eyes where Patrick will – Give McCall an opportunity, and you can look at this on film for the last year, last season. Yeah, and if it doesn't go a certain way on that certain snap, well, I have Travis Kelsey to trust. I have Tyreek Hill to trust. We're not yeah. going to, yeah, you know, run things that are to your strength. If I if I'm throwing you the ball, like there are two plays that come to my to me right now visually of McCall Hardman's season where he didn't do what you're supposed to do as a second-year receiver. Um, the first game against the Buffalo Bills, Chiefs get the ball right before half, right before halftime. They make one. They make the right play, a little swing pass, move the ball. Okay, the clock's moving. Okay, get everybody set. McCall Hartman's supposed to run a basically a, a hook route in the middle of the field. He's wide open because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are running longer routes. The Bills concede the short intermediate zone, Patrick understands that, throws the ball to McCall, complete drop. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point where it's like, there's nobody around you. The ball was on time. You ran your route pretty good. You have to catch the ball before you want to run. And I think his eyes were more geared toward, I have all this space. I'm going to run after the catch. Uh, the second play that comes to mind is against the Broncos in the second game this year where Patrick knew he was running an out route scrambled to the right, understood that the ball was going to be put in a certain place that was going to be away from the defender, but you have to have trust that the receiver is going to flatten their route out as they're breaking to the sideline. Instead, he sort of rounded it out, and it ended up being a near interception, no. to which Patrick Mahomes looks at McColl and literally in front of the entire world does this, come back to the ball, like flatten out. Like, this is week 10, dog. You shouldn't have to be... I shouldn't have to be worried about this now versus maybe week two, week three of this your practice rookie. 10 that we should have yeah, figured this yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is not your rookie season anymore. This is year two. Yeah. We want to see real growth, real maturity. And so that's the issue for McCole. This is a real make or break year, I think, for him. Um, just because yeah. he's going to get more opportunities because one, Sammy's not going to be there. Yes, you got Demarcus Robinson back, but he will serve pretty much the same role. Uh, is what I've been told on his one-year deal. So it should be McCole Hardman. But here's the thing that Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Brett Beach, I think you're going to do, along with you know Greg Lewis, the receivers coaches. Um, let's draft somebody in the second, third, or fourth round and say, okay, here's the competition. You like, all figure this out. <laughs> it's, it's, essentially, yeah. I, I think that's the way it's going to play out. Um, T.Y. Hilton was the last receiver. On the, on the free agency market, that makes sense for the Chiefs. I think basically now you're looking at guys 
on one-year prove-it deals. I don't think they're yeah. going to go on that route. So get a tackle in the first round. And if you're McCall Hartman, start praying that the Chiefs select a tight end in one of those middle rounds and not a receiver um, because that could have a little bit of a dynamic to it where it's like, hey, we know Travis Kelsey's 31 and Blake Bill's only going to be here for one more year, you know, or he's only on a one-year deal. Let's maybe take a – you know, I, I have been screaming mm-hmm. that they should take a tight end yeah. for like yeah. three yeah. years. Uh, so, like, you know, maybe they take a tight end in the third round. But if they don't, they're probably looking for a receiver who they feel like um, – can challenge you for snaps and it's time to prove your value beyond just being a speed threat, a gadget player or somebody that can be used on an end around when the defense is obviously looking for Travis Kelsey and Tyree kill. Yeah. And while you're at it, uh, praying for a tight end to be drafted, pray for clarity that you flatten out your out routes and actually just take the role that that's uh, yours. (laughs) And, and And the sad thing is, we as human beings always remember the last thing we just saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get it. You know, the AFC championship game was rough because they were down nine, nothing because he, he muffed a punt. Yeah. Now it is great coaching. It is unbelievable coaching that not only did Andy Reid and Eric Benjamin find a certain play that would work the end around that he went for about 60 yards, but then they had to play in the direct mindset too to be like, let's give him a touchdown as well, which is obviously that sort of screen pass play, quick screen. He obviously scores with blockers in front of him. And so there's always having to be this emotional boost to McCole Hardman in a way that shows how young he is in his career. And it does take guys time to be super successful. The problem is, I feel like a large part of the game plan for the Super Bowl was dependent upon McCall Hartman, at least in the first half of the game where the the Buccaneers were like, we're not letting Tien get past us. No, like there's no, we're doubling him. Wherever he is, we're doubling him. Um, They're going to try to be very, very physical with Travis Kelsey. And look, Latavius White is a great linebacker. One of the best who could actually go up against Travis and not get embarrassed. So they have, they have a chess piece to go against yours. So if Sammy Watkins is coming back from injury and we don't know what we're going to get from him, all right, here are four plays that I can show you in the first half where McCall Hartman's got to win his one-on-one matchup or look for the ball or not stop his route or not be confused by how the Buccaneers disguise their coverage and then shade it in a different way post-snap. Patrick Mahomes these things in his life. Don't you see this? <laughs> exactly. You, exactly. Which yeah. tells you, which tells you how excellent Patrick Mahomes is. Exactly. He literally looks at McCullough and is like, did you, did you, did you see what they were doing there? Did you see the guy blitz? And I knew he was leaving where you were going. And I threw you the ball and you, you didn't see that. You did you? And so, um, how many targets did McCullough Hartman have in the second half of the Super Bowl? The answer yeah, was zero. Zero. Yeah. 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 So really what Mahomes needs is his own Julian Edelman that just <laughs> understands everything Gosh, yeah. on, on the level. Uh, Chris, do you have any other uh, football questions before we ask our quick college basketball one and do our final takes? No. I mean, I, it, a lot of the questions that you asked him, Josh, were a lot of the ones I had. So, Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well over half of these questions were written by Chris. I want to make sure that we're clear about that. Through <laughs> a little secret, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in every single one of these that we do. Um, okay, so uh, the, the college basketball question, we're going to make this really simple. Who's winning? Who's, who's winning the tournament? I want to see history. I want to see Gonzaga. Um, I... What they did to USC was criminal. <laughs> I thought oh my USC, God, that was assault. <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I thought that was going to be a great game. I was like, okay, probably someone's going to challenge Gonzaga. It's that West Coast flavor, USC. I feel terrible for UCLA because they can't score, and that's the problem. No. You have to score with Gonzaga. I, I, I think a lot of people Gonzaga. I wouldn't mind it. I think Gonzaga is a better team. But like, hey, who doesn't want to see a perfect season where? They just dominated from beginning to end. I, I remember when they played the, I don't know if it was the opener, Dallas played Kansas in, in the mm-hmm. early tournament, Maui tournament. And I was like, oh, this will mm-hmm. be fun to watch. And was realizing, like, is Kansas yeah. not good this year? Or is this is this some fluke? And then you realize, yeah. oh, like, Suggs is the best player in the, in the country. Yeah. Um, I, I, 
I've I've grown up with Gonzaga like since I was in like the fourth grade, which tells you how great they've been. Yeah. Um, I remember when like Dan Dickow was their best player, or like Adam. Oh Moore. gosh, yes. And it's just like, what kind of program is like? Like Adam Morrison wouldn't even sniff the court with this team now, and that's no. that's how. Much oh, exactly. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. Blake step. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so it's it's crazy how good the program is, but I I yeah. assume it'll be. I'll be surprised if, if Gonzaga somehow loses because they've just been so consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Who you got, guys? Yeah, I am too. I, you know, I, I think Gonzaga will win it. I would, I'd be happy if Baylor won it um, too. I, I guess I, I think that's a great story itself. Um, I, I didn't even realize just how um, I think Mitchell, Butler, and Teague, neither, none of those guys were top 100 recruits coming out of high school. So, I mean, and you could argue they have the best backcourt right now in the nation. So I I would not be sad at all if, if Baylor won it. And I do want to see Gonzaga Bagler yeah. uh, very much. I just, I think as far as quality of, of play on both sides of the court, you know, both Houston and UCLA are very limited offensively. Um, so I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see a quality on a both offense and defense in the national championship. And, and look, there's been times where Baylor is like, okay, five minutes, we're just going to play defense. Yeah. Like, just yeah. like, and that'll be the game. And you're just like, man, they're so good. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. I, I, I hope it's Baylor. Um, I hope it's Baylor and Gonzaga. And I just, I mean, it, it, it feels like it's time for Gonzaga to, to finally win the championship. Yeah. I, I agree. And I want to be clear about something. I don't feel bad for what's about to happen to UCLA. I don't have anything good to say about any Pac-12 or Big Ten teams. Um, I'm looking forward to the slaughter. Uh, I thought it was I, I thought it was hilarious yeah. what they did to USC. Um, it made yeah. me feel way worse about how Kansas was this year. But um, <laughs> And then on the Houston side, it's like, hey, it's Kelvin Sampson. You really want to see him have anything nice? I don't. Um, <laughs> come on. You ruined two programs. Um, I, yeah. I can't wait to see what you do with this one but yeah. uh anyways <laughs> um so the last thing that we always do is we just have a, a parting shot final take whatever you want to call it where you can talk about anything you want to um so do you want to defer to chris or go first i want this to go first that's so why i can get a feel for this <laughs> okay right. so we'll let, we'll let chris go <laughs> okay so let me just do a quick background change yeah, so we're uh, we're certainly Kansas sympathizers. Uh, Chris we went to school there. Uh, yeah. I went to university. There we go. So, uh, you know, the 34 and 0 1996 Fort Hayes State Tigers. Um, you know, Gonzaga is not going to pass them, so I'm rooting for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, okay. So um, just a few things here. Three-time national champion, 903 career wins with a 774. Uh, win percentage. Uh, no coach has gotten the 900 wins faster than Roy Williams. I, you know, I don't know where Mark Few is, but he might be the only person who might actually come close to that down the road. But uh, you know, Roy Williams retiring today definitely took me back quite a bit growing up. Um, you know, I, I got into college basketball. Um, funnily, funny enough, growing up on the Missouri side of Kansas City, so I got quite a bit of flack. <laughs> growing up in Jackson County for, for wearing a lot of uh, crimson and blue. But, I mean, I was captivated, you know, first by by players like, you know, Rex Walters and Adonis Jordan. And and then, of course, the, the mid-90s teams with Jock Vaughn, Rafe LaFren, Paul Pierce. But I didn't really get a whole lot of perspective today because I, I, I've been reading a lot of articles in The Athletic today, Nate, about, uh, you know, you. I think – I think CJ actually chimed in with uh, whomever the, the beat writer is for North Carolina basketball. And uh, just where the program was when Larry Brown left and just how like a dime in the rough that Roy Williams was when Kansas actually hired him. And lo and behold, he ended up being, in my opinion, um, I think the best college basketball coach in the last 16 years. Mm -hmm. And if I was going to have a Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches, he would be up there for me. Um, I'd even put him above Dean Smith. That's that's how much I think of him. Um, I guess really to close out my my whole thing on Roy, and this is more of a personal thing. But if you're if you're watching, um, I was very very hurt when you left the program back in 2003. 
um, to a point where I, I think I took it too hard uh, and probably held a lot against you for a lot longer than I should have. But I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I think Roy Williams ended up in the job that he was really meant for at North Carolina. And by, no surprise by me, he ended up, uh, I think, again, he, he was three national titles, close to a fourth one. Um, just, just incredible success um, out of a guy who was just kind of this afterthought of a hire in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. And now 903 wins later, you know, Hall of Famer all the way. So this is to you, Roy Williams, a great career. And, uh, you know, thanks for what you did at the University of Kansas, man. Cheers. I 100% agree with everything. And by the way, Mark Few has 626 wins in what I believe is 22 seasons, which is about a 28 okay. win a season clip. He's 58. So might be onto something there. Might be the only one that can close. Yeah. 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 I mean, with, with, with runway. So uh, uh, what do you got? You want to go last or you want me to go last? Uh, I, I'll go next. Um, okay. I, I, uh, I spent many years growing up in Kansas City, uh, where I'm born and raised, spending the entire, whittling the entire baseball season down to one day. In, in kids, it's today. Um, when I was growing up, the Royals were uh, not necessarily an afterthought, but more of a laughing stock compared to the rest of the Major League Baseball, uh, especially after the 1994 uh, strike. So... For me, a lot of this was like, hey, if the Royals win on opening day, that's kind of our championship. Yep. There's no chance of going to the playoffs. Like, there's no way that like they're ever gonna face Derek Jeter and the Yankees and like some ALCS. Um, for so long that had been the case. And obviously Dave Moore had really built the team up along with Ned Yost. And look, you're still even seeing guys like Salvador Perez, Lorenzo Kane, Eric Hosmer, like, you know all of those guys will be very much um, special in my sports fandom, just because for a two year run, it was, it was magical to watch them play baseball every day. Um, yes. I'm happy that they brought <laughs> Gerard Dyson back, even though who knows yeah, how much you'll play. Do. Yeah. Even though who knows how much you'll play. <laughs> very little. Yeah. Yeah, so, when Michael Taylor swung the bat today, I don't know. If yeah. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it was a, it was a true droid that uh, of course on opening day when I think they might actually be good or interesting enough to watch compared to previous years since about 2016 that hey uh, let's get really excited let's let's yeah. show my five-year-old son the Royals are back holy smokes we have not gotten them out yet <laughs> how many runs do they have it's just like yeah. <laughs> and so it, in a lot of ways reminded me of like growing up in like middle high, you know, junior high and middle, you know, high school, where it's just like, yeah. oh yeah, like we're, we're really bad. Like we haven't gotten it out. And then in the next half inning, we score five runs to tie they it. They tied it, yeah. They ended, they ended up winning today, 14 to 10. Uh, it's the longest game in Royals history for yep. a nine inning game. Uh, you know, pitching at least looks halfway decent on the reliever side. I don't know what happened with Brad Keller today. Uh, Michael A. Taylor. Royals legend. Don't play another game. Don't play another game. Come get Carlos Beltran there. Yeah. Don't play another game. I'm still waiting for Bobby Wood Jr. to come up uh, to make us even more uh, competitive. But obviously, Whit Merrifield, Salvador Perez, uh, Jorge Soler hit another home run that you know went very very far. So look, they're a fun team. They're, they they've got they've got Wade back. We got Wade Davis back. I mean, it was. Right. It was so much of the old versus the most recent versus like this common, like this yeah. weird combination of there's still enough people from the old regard to have true beloved nature towards the team to actually want to care and have some affection for these memories that we have for, I guess, the now five going on six years. But there's enough of these new guys to sort of suggest that, hey, they are starting to turn the page. They're going to be more competitive. Maybe they can, you know, push the twins somewhere in the middle of the season. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe be in that race to get the second wildcard spot. Who knows? But um, to know that I was going to get essentially my entire day to a baseball team um, was, was really fun. And to know that they broke my heart and rebuilt it up in an hour. Uh, uh, just reminds you how fun yeah. 
and magical sports is because it's just like how do we ever get any outs even though there's nine guys in the field like how, yeah. how are we gonna get any outs and then you realize wow we you know we stuck together though the guys worked hard they went out and they won a baseball game and there's 161 of these we hope uh left to go so baseball season is really long and i admire <laughs> the writers and the reporters who cover them on a daily basis along with just the guys doing that to their bodies for six months but for one day it was it was really fun to be reminded of baseball and to have fans out at the k um and to know hey we we, we can't start any worse than five runs down before we ever pick the yes. bats but we're one and on the record book. Yeah, I, I, I used to go to opening day every year and I think my wife asked me, she's like, what's opening day like? And this this was back in the 2000s when we used to go over here. And I was just like, well, just imagine Coffin Stadium packed, but it's actually mostly Royals fans. Because, I mean, if you went to a sellout other than opening day, it's like mostly Yankees, Cardinals fans Cardinals, or Yankees fans. You know, so, Red Sox. Yeah, opening day was, yeah. So opening day was just, was always like, uh, it was a holiday for me every year. And uh but yeah, it's I, I share the same sentiment with you, Nate. Like I'm actually I'm really excited about this team. Yeah. And then to think they think if they can talk Kelvin Herrera out of retirement, they could actually have all of HDH back. I mean <laughs> why not, right? Go back to the old guard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Well, speaking from somebody who's followed a substantial amount of Colorado Rockies baseball, good luck with Holland and Davis. Um, I, I hope that works out. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm certainly rooting for the Royals as well. Uh, I've gotten pretty partial to the Brewers. I kind of want to light the Rockies on fire. I watch a lot of baseball. Uh, I was going to go the same direction talking about opening day. And so, um, you know, we are giving up the day that we're recording. So it's happy opening day for baseball. Every fan has justified reason for hope and optimism, just like you guys said, which is the best part about opening day. And also uh, a lot of times on opening day, I'll just think about baseball movies in particular, the goat of baseball movies, Kevin Costner. I think he owes this one as a manager, by the way. So Hollywood do your thing. Uh, and anytime I get into a baseball <laughs> mood, I can picture Crash Davis's big speech that I'm obviously not going to quote the whole thing. But my favorite line is, I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. AstroTurf has kind of gone the way of the dodo for more sophisticated type of turf type of things. But I 100% agree with the DH comment. I don't like it. I never will. And you can't make me so go away. And uh, by the way, my favorite baseball movie <laughs> is uh, major league. And so, yes. Hey, bartender, <laughs> Joe Boone needs a refill. So good night. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Cheers.